Hey everybody, welcome to Surface Level, creating a community where Black and queer folks are fearless in thought and curious at heart. I'm one of your hosts, Tony, and today Jordan, Damon, and I are discussing being Black in white spaces. What advantages or disadvantages exist from being the beneficiary of respectability politics? What is the biggest misconception we face from our own community based on false perceptions of our proximity to whiteness? This is You Ain't Black. You Ain't Black. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So welcome. What's the title? You Ain't Black. <laughs> you Ain't Black. <laughs> You ain't black. You ain't black. Don't, don't. Okay. Okay. You're going around the room. Okay. That's about to come over this table on you. That's the title. First of all, I want to say, you know, it's Christmas time. (laughs) You don't stop singing that Ashanti song? Well, it was such a, you know, it sits right here in the back of my mind, behind God's back of my mind. Behind your mind's (laughs) eye? Yeah. Behind my mind's eye. My mind's eye. Right. Yeah. But it's Christmas time. Like, it's Christmas time. Are you you girls in the Christmas spirit? Yeah. Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate. How are you? Kwanzaa. Remember when? Kwanzaa. (laughs) Shanae. (laughs) Shanae. How are you girls feeling? this holiday season what's are you planning to spend it with family yeah my my family's coming to new jersey to spend the holiday with us who's us me and my partner okay oh i love that my me and my roommate. first time my roommate yeah. your roommate got it okay my, my so this is the part- first time the family will be all yeah. together in the house my, the new place mm-hmm. with you and your roommate and me out. the dogs the children <laughs> um, so many okay. things that's exciting. That is exciting. It's very stressful. My house is also turned into like a um a department store window. We love it. There are <laughs> trees. Are, which department store are, window is it? Saks? Bergdorf Goodman, baby. Okay, Bergdorf. Um, Got it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're like there's a nine foot tree in my house. There are nutcrackers. There's garland. Not like, the drinks, nut, the nutcracker drinks. No, baby. Oh, no, little figurines. No, little figurines. That's no fun. You say, Alexa, Merry Christmas. Christmas music starts playing. The tree lights up. It's a whole oh thing. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. a to do. You live in Whoville. I live in Whoville. But I mean, you used to, <laughs> when you lived alone, you like to make it nice for the holidays. Yeah. So this is just a. I like to make a extension. nice corner. And now the, the corner has exploded <laughs> into the entire home. It's a Christmas bomb. It's an extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, what about you? What's what's um, cooking for the holidays? I'm in the Christmas spirit too. Is you know I have a Christmas tree which I love and adore. It really puts me in the the Christmas mood. It's about um, a foot tall. I put it on my end table, but you, it really shines at night because <laughs> when it's dark you can see it. Um, and got I it. also got a bunch of um, pine scented Airwick air um, refills, so it's a truly immersive experience. Yeah, as soon yeah, as you yeah. Walk in, it's yeah. Like, Christmas, so uh-huh, uh-huh. so mm-hmm. I won't be celebrating Christmas at my house because you know I need a little bit more than that. So I'm going back home to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Want to spend it with family. Mm-hmm. Let my little cousins run around. Mm-hmm. To the rich auntie coming home. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> all the kids want drones. Listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Bring, I'm Here not comes Jor. I'm bringing crab legs, okay? <laughs> and I'm eating half of them. Yikes! Ghetto. So yikes. <laughs> Uh, for me, I think the holidays, I don't typically, like, the holidays are not what they used to be when mm-hmm. I was younger. The family used to spend it together. Both sides of the family used to spend, like, do traditional things on both sides. And now everyone's getting older. There aren't any, there aren't a lot of children in the family like there once were. And so it's just a different time of year. But, like, at home, you know, you got to get a reef on the door, Christmas tree, you smell the, the real pine. Um, and, <laughs> and that 
makes the season brighter. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly how I'll be spending Christmas Day, but I do know that I feel in the holiday spirit this season as opposed to a couple years ago. I felt very like dark side. Just that man, that I was man, the, that man. I was the Grinch. Just that man, that man, that man. No, yeah. the girls were saying I was glowing. So I was like, I am I pregnant? No. There are going to be new children in the family. Anywho, today, mm -hmm. I'm really excited. You guys are should be really excited because we're bringing a special, special guest um, that's going to join us here at the table. And today's guest is known for keeping a job, but it's not Kiki Palmer. <laughs> you know him from his rise to fame on social media, but he later had his big break on one of daytime TV's most successful shows in history, The Ellen Show. He's an actor, a writer, a Capricorn like me, so he's amazing. And I mean, he wears more hats than LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> you tore yourself up with that one. So I did tear myself up with that <laughs> one. I was ready to tell that one, child. <laughs> so today we're super excited to welcome Kate, the Kaylin Allen to our surface level family. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, welcome. welcome. Hello, oh, I love that y'all said that in sync. <laughs> <laughs> hello, good, hello, hello. Good morning, Charlie. Okay. <laughs> we are ever so excited for you to be here with us. Um, it's been, we were talking about a few weeks ago when you went viral again <laughs> on the, the Hopeless Romantic Society uh -huh. moments um, out on the street being Girl. interviewed. Girl. Girl. <laughs> like, Same. I was it's, just like, it's okay. hilarious. Uh, but as we always do here at Surface Level, we want to start this episode off with a game, an icebreaker game. Okay. And we're going to call this game what we call the name of the episode. And it's called You Ain't Black. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give you all a few questions about different moments in black culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you, wait, Damon, don't be cheating looking Ooh. at my screen, girl. <laughs> Child, now listen here, honey. I ain't got to cheat. Demond said I ain't got to cheat you to beat you. Okay. So, <laughs> on the hit show Martin, there is one surefire dish that Gina can never make or recreate, and she better not try it. And it's a his mama apple pie, b his mama biscuits, c his mama mac and cheese, or D, his mama candy yams. B, biscuits. Biscuits. I started off easy for y'all. I, <laughs> I wanted to warm y'all I wanted to warm y'all my mama biscuits. Yeah. My mama biscuits. And you know, mama pain Hello. brings the pain. <laughs> <laughs> if the cookout starts at 3 p.m. and you arrive at 3.30 p.m., how much food is ready? A, just waiting on the ribs. You just waiting on the ribs, y'all. <laughs> B, everything. Duh. C, not a damn thing. Or D, all the sides are ready. But, we, you know, we just got a few more minutes before everything's done. Mm. Oh. This, this feels subjective. Well, it might be. <laughs> um, What's done? If the cookout starts at 3, three and, we and you 3 arrive 30. at 3.30, how much food is That's ready? That's still kind of early. 3.30. So I, I would have said size, but I'm going to say none of it. Because 3.30 is still a little on the early side. Okay. Me. Jordan? Yeah, three. If you show up at three thirty, I feel like you're signing up to be a part of the setup crew, right? Uh, and so I feel like there might be like cold sides available, maybe the potato salad. Uh huh. Uh -huh. But anything that needs to be warm, I feel like it's still yeah, it's still cooking, it's still cooking, yeah. <laughs> it's still browning over. I'm, I I agree. 
<laughs> well, congratulations, Caitlin. You 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 black. Right. <laughs> ain't nothing ready. Lovely. Ain't nothing ready. Yeah. Demond and Jordan, you ain't black. We said the same thing. Y'all y'all part of the setup crew because you said the sides and stuff was ready. Like no, 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 we no that. that. Oh no, he's talking about the potato salad. I was agreeing with Caitlin. Oh right. Oh you say he was agreeing with me. Nobody agreed with me. What city did the Winslows live in on the hit show Family Matters? Chicago. Was it A, Detroit, B, St. Louis, C, Philadelphia, or D, Chicago? D, my hometown. Chicago. <laughs> of course, Shot you don't get that one. Well, you... the, it's the opening credits. It, it pans yeah. over the skyline. If you didn't get that. It would have been shame on you. I don't know You're that. I don't know that. Demo, um, Jordan, Jordan, like, Jordan didn't know the answer. You know, you ain't black. Jordan about Family Matters is that I never realized that they were on at the same time as Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and I don't know why I felt like they were. I think Family Matters looked old, like to me. So I thought it was mm. older. Yeah. Than Fresh Prince, but then I saw that clip when Uncle Phil shows up on the Family Matters set. Mm. There was a crossover episode. There was like at the end of an episode, he like made a surprise, and it was like a, a thing for <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the one the man that played the dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was how I figured out that they was on. Was that James show. Avery? Am I am I making yeah. that up? Mm -hmm, okay, I, I'm black. That's great. Let <laughs> <laughs> you know names. Yes. All right. So if you open the fridge in a black household and see a country crock butter container. Mm -hmm. What is more than likely inside? A, butter. B, ain't no telling. <laughs> C, greens. D, soup. Or E, spaghetti. Now let's, spaghetti. let's start with Jordan. Let's start with Jordan. Why? <laughs> Why do I keep doing you like this? Let's start with Jordan. Are you not I mean, racial? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I know of. <laughs> well, that's why we're going to get you that 23 and me. <laughs> oh, please. For Chris. For uh, repeat the options. Is it A, butter, B, ain't no telling, C, greens, D, soup, or E, spaghetti? Okay, so it's ain't no telling because I used to I used to eat cereal out of those um, oh, containers. Oh, I never yeah. heard wow. that. Yeah. Cereal at the country clock? Yeah, uh -huh. out of the butter, yeah, out of the butter tub. I mean, yeah, yeah. Really? Butter. Yeah, you wash it out and you use it as a dish. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Oh, well, that's new. You, might <laughs> know, you never know what you put in it. It's Where a bowl. Are you from? Well, so I'm from New Jersey, <laughs> but I didn't do that in New well, Jersey. I did that with my family in Michigan. Ah. Oh. Yeah. That wasn't a New Jersey thing that I did. But it's a Midwest thing? It was. I'm from no, Kansas. I'm like, I'm from the Midwest. It was. I know. So, like, so, Y'all didn't do that? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So, so what, what say you, Demond? It, well, it's between anything and spaghetti. <laughs> it was like where are you, I landed. Are you saying spaghetti? They get to get down to the spaghetti. Final I don't answer. think that's right. And the reason why I say <laughs> not spaghetti is because the whole joke about the spaghetti is that they put it in Tupperware because it leaves the stain. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't get the stain in a country crock thing. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Now, so okay, so okay, my, what's it gonna be? I'm <laughs> going to say greens. Well. Uh, this is, you know, as the you know, what's, what's interesting as the keeper of Black culture today on this day? Oh please, Jordan! Congratulations, you you black. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? You it, it ain't no telling what might be in the country crop. Okay, buzz on your head, child. The Get girls can't there. see it on that side. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but ain't no telling what might be in the country crock butter container. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Lucky How charms. much money was Erica Badu born under water with? <laughs> a $3.60, B, $3.50, C, $3.40, or D, $3.30? You know A. I don't know this one. $3.60 because it was $3.60. What, what, what would you that's say? That's correct. 
Okay. So, Kaylin, you ain't black. Oh, <laughs> Hot dog. Well, Jordan got that right because Jordan knows math. That's our that's our resident <laughs> budget. budget, budget <laughs> didn't even answer. He made, he let me answer. He said, well, and then he fact checked me. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I can I can attest that that's the right answer. Well, like what? Like that, he was on a fact check board for that one. <laughs> All right, last one. The phrase by Felicia comes from which movie? A, House Party, B, Babs, C, Friday, or D, Boomerang? Now, C. who wants to, uh, Kaylin? C. C, Friday, Jordan? Friday. C, Friday, Demont, C, Friday. Friday. Okay, congratulations to the girls at the table. Hey, Craig, let me, let me borrow your VCR real quick. <laughs> Damn, Felicia. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. You ain't got no VCR? <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, because we ask this to every guest that joins us I here. Say, I thought that was the last question. <laughs> it was the last question, but we threw in a bonus just Ooh, specifically for you, spicy. for the guests, okay. for our guests today. Because, you know, we have hospitality and we think about the guests that we bring. Per. And we want to know from you, Kaylin, what are you curious about? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. It could be something silly, something fun, something okay. critical, something... I, am, I think in today's day and age, after the pandemic, I am curious um, of how sustainable social media is going to be moving forward. Interesting. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I personally think that social media is going through a, a transition that I think we may see it start to almost go away. I think we're going to find people are going to start reverting back to old ways of like watching cable television and stuff like that. I think, hmm. I think it is great how much we have progressed when it comes, but I think we're learning that maybe the cost is a little bit more than what we expected, if that makes sense, you know? So was the juice worth the squeeze? Because now with everything being all these streaming platforms right. and stuff like that, it's giving well, I might as well have cable job. Well, it's, it's also, it's like, it's very innovative and you have all these things, but what are the checks and balances that have been established to help manage it? And I don't think that is what was prepared, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think now it's kind of all over the place. And mm -hmm. I think especially now when people are specifically like streaming services, when you think about all these different streaming services you're, you're paying for, well, now you're essentially paying more than you would pay for cable, but because they're yeah. all separate entities, you don't even pay attention because you're paying all these different subscriptions. I think people are going to get to a point of being like, too much is going on, <laughs> you know? I think, yeah, we're at that point now. We're kind. definitely at subscription fatigue. Yeah, yeah. 100%. For sure. All right, well, today's conversation is going to be about navigating white spaces mm -hmm. as black people. And the first question that I want to start with is that um, I'm going to make an assumption and say that we all have likely participated at some point in time in um, respectability politics, um, either consciously or subconsciously. And um, I'm curious to know, is playing the game of respectability politics a losing game when many white folks still hold negative racial stereotypes towards us. Um, Caitlin, let's start with you. Um, well, I, I think, I think it's inevitable for it to be a losing game. However, I think the difference is, is one's awareness of it. I think there are a lot of people that participate in respectability politics, but they are not aware that they are, if that makes sense, you mm. know? So for instance, like say with me, we talked about the hopeless romantic, you know, video, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So for me, 
I felt as though I was very, I was glad that people got to see me in that light mm-hmm. because I felt like that's how I am at home or with my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think on TV, because I work in sometimes daytime television or in more, I don't want to say conservative, but TV is just a different field. It's almost like, like you have to pick the time and place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think there are different versions of me. I do think that there is all who I am, but there are different personas and it varies depending on what the space I'm in and what I'm doing and how I operate in that. But I think I have awareness of when I am code switching and if I feel as though that code switching in that moment for whatever that thing may be is detrimental to my overall image or brand. And so I think I'm very mindful of that depending on the space that I am in, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, like for so long, we were taught to smile and nod mm-hmm. and and that's what we've been taught for so long. And so I think a big part of it is recognizing what's going on and, and by what's going on, I mean respectability politics, and then understanding that you, there's some unlearning that has to be done there. Mm-hmm. And the question that I ask is like, when is the jig up? When do you get tired of compromising your dignity? At what point does that matter to you versus putting on this performance to try to get respect from white people? Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I think about like, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, a lot like, you're still going to be looked at with the color skin that you have. Correct. And when it comes down to them vouching for you versus someone that looks like them, mm-hmm. unconscious bias is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And we have unconscious bias. Like I always, I, I, I look at the black folks and say like, I'm going to take that person under my wing. They do the same thing. But the, the, the catch is that, we're in we're, we've worked in predominantly white spaces. And so when the power lies at the top with the white folks, at the end of the day, you're going to be left on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I've like earlier in my career, I think, especially ironically going to Howard in the business school, there was this um, idea that you had to be a certain way, look a certain way, have a level of quote polish that made you more presentable, acceptable, etc. Um, and fairly early in my career, I started to just like rebel against that. Uh, and I think it's something that I've leaned into. And, and ironically, um, I think it's the thing that has helped me get quite further in my career, get pretty far in my career. Um, because I, Luck, like I work in an industry, I work in the fashion industry, and it's um, part of it is like cultural work. Like culture is business and currency uh, in the industry in which I work. And it's about, for me, it's I can be the person having the discussion about whatever y'all want to talk about in the office, but I'm that and. Um, mm-hmm. I'm that and a person that's going to make a banging pot of greens, that's going to be into hip hop, that's going to understand. Like I remember I was in an interview once and we were talking about streetwear. And one of the things I said to the person interviewing me, I said, hey, I'm into this project, but like where I'm from, people just call them clothes. Hmm. It's like, I'm a black boy from Chicago. What you're describing is like this idea is just something that I have lived. Um, And that honesty and that forwardness about like the truth of who I am, I found has gotten me a lot further than trying to placate and play into an experience that like I don't actually identify with. Right. 
but yeah. you, you brought an honest perspective mm-hmm. that they didn't have in the room, and you weren't afraid to speak up. And when you did, they were like, "Go to you, like if they don't need anybody else that like has a whose family has a house in Connecticut." In that perspective, I can't offer anything that is more valuable if we're, that's the only perspective that we want to have. What mm-hmm. I what I found was just like we were playing this game to like get a foot in the door, but like in in the door, like who I was, but it has been much much more valuable. Right. Could we establish what the, these jobs are so that mm-hmm. it's better to understand like what yeah. these spaces yeah. so, are? So, Damon, Jordan, and I, well, Damon, Jordan, and I work in media and entertainment and marketing. And we've worked at big media companies. Um, for example, I've, I've worked at CNN, I've worked at Food Network, I've worked at Viacom, at Nickelodeon. I now work at Amazon Music. Um, I'll allow these girls to speak on their careers and what they do. Uh, yeah, I work in retail and I've been buying and merchandising for most of my career. Um, right now I'm at H&M uh, and previously I've been at Ralph Lauren, Theory, a bunch of other places. So, Got it. Yeah, and I have a background in advertising. And so I've worked at Nickelodeon, currently at TikTok. Okay. Well, I, I ask that because I think, especially when we talk about respectability politics and specifically for my career, what was different was that, you know, Ellen moved me out of college from, I, I still finished college, but I was moved from Philadelphia into the show. But the difference was, is that, and I think this is what I didn't understand at first, was that I was being hired because of who I was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, when I got there, it didn't feel necessarily that I needed to change really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think the complication was that who I was, I had to be more mindful of how that was being portrayed in front of white people, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think for me, I was just like, mm, Kaylin's being Kaylin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This is just who I am. This is who I am in the videos. This is exactly who I'm going to be on TV, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and I think at, at, at the very beginning, there was always a lot of... um you know, criticism or, or whatever from the community in large uh, specifically about me, but I actually don't think that it actually had anything to do with me personally. Mm-hmm. I think it had to do with the trend of black gay celebrities and what usually happens when they get into white spaces. Mm-hmm. But mm. I think I was always mm. aware of the fact that it could always be taken away from me because I was black and gay, you okay. know? So I think because I had that awareness I I knew that what I was doing and the work that I was doing in these white spaces was primarily for me to obtain the form of success and fame that would allow me the power to make the decisions. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it would give me the agency to be able, because I remember being there and, you know, talk about being a TikTok. I remember like, if there was one thing that I did, it was like, if we ever had someone on that was like a white TikToker or something like that, and then I found out that they actually got that from a black creative, I was always the person to be like, no, like, this is who actually deserves this recognition. Good. And I always fought to bring more black voices into the show because I knew the power of the show as Good. well. Did you, mm-hmm. were you intimidated to do that? Or would that was just a natural reaction and you kind of just like called it out. I feel like it was natural. I, I felt like it was almost my responsibility to do that mm-hmm. because I did feel as though this is where it gets tricky. I, I did feel as though there were some people in the industry 
that they would get that proximity to whiteness. Yeah. And they would change. Very much like a, a black person moving to the suburbs, you know, <laughs> like, and, and acting as if, you know, that's a different lifestyle, you know. And I think because the, we're talking about TV, I think people were only able to see me on TV. But mm-hmm. I don't think people really knew the work that I was doing behind the scenes, right. you know. And mm-hmm. so I think when the criticism came, it never, I never took it to heart because I understood. I, I, I think for me, I was always like, there will come a day when you will understand the bigger picture mm-hmm. of how I, I needed to play the game in order to make it bigger. You know, um, like, for instance, uh, wait, one of you said you was at the, um, when I did the thing at the Apollo, right? The, I was. Okay. And that, yeah. Yes, and I, I saw you there and I was like, we need to have, we need to talk to him about this topic. Yeah, but like, talking about like black creators. I knew because of my position at the Ellen DeGeneres show that more than likely I was being paid top dollar. Mm-hmm. I knew that mm-hmm. from all brand deals. I knew that was the case, you know? And so because I knew that, when I, there were new, be new black creatives, I always try to reach out to them because I know that these brands will try to play them. So one thing that I like to do is I like to help new and upcoming people negotiate their contracts because a lot of these people don't have the agents and the managers and, you know, and I have the privilege to be at top agencies. Mm-hmm. And so I know what you should be making. I right. know what you deserve. Yeah. I know what you're worth. And so I try to help and be a, a voice for them to be able to understand what it should look like for them. Yes. Period. Yeah, and I and I and I can appreciate your like you're saying that you have the power to to choose. You know how you wanted to navigate these spaces. I think that um, with regards to respectability politics, mm-hmm. I think that it is a losing game. You do lose parts of yourself yes. by participating in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to recognize the people who the trailblazers in these different environments and organizations and ecosystems that had to rely on respectability politics as a survival tactic. Mm-hmm. And they've created opportunities for our generation to be able to live more freely or operate more freely in those spaces. And so I do think that it's a losing game, um, but I do encourage to this day that um, that younger people understand that they have the choice and they have to, they have to decide for themselves what they're willing to sacrifice, what they're willing to not take and they should be confident to be able to speak up for those things and against Mm -hmm. those things um but the reality i think is that these places aren't fair these Mm -hmm. places aren't meritocracies Mm -hmm. you're not going to just get an opportunity because you're the most talented or because you produce the best work um and so understanding that and under and and understanding that relationships play a huge role in things i try to let people know like this is how it works Mm -hmm. you have to make a choice for yourself and decide what's important Mm -hmm. and what you're willing to lose to gain Mm -hmm. and i think that it's a sliding scale and everyone varies and people have more to lose some people have more to gain and so when i have this conversation about respectability politics it's it really comes down to like what is your unique situation Mm -hmm. and what are you trying to accomplish from it? Mm -hmm. And do you feel like participating in it is ultimately going to deteriorate your character? Mm -hmm. What sacrifices do you feel as though you've made? With regards to respectability politics of having to assimilate in these different areas. Do you feel as though there have been parts of you that you've had to leave at home or sacrifice or that you've noticed down the line and been like, 
oh, this is how I behaved in this space because I had to code switch or whatever. Well, that's a, it's almost like, you know, the questions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's the, that is the question that we want to ask. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're curious to know, like, what are the advantages and the disadvantages of, um, benefiting mm -hmm. from, um, respectability politics. Yeah. So, um, Damon, why don't we start with you? You know, when I saw this, I, I always think about, um, you ever remember that movie, The Butler? Uh, yeah. with like yes. Oprah and Forrest Whitaker mm -hmm. and I can't remember. With Octavia Spencer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of them where Oprah's like, everything you have is because of that butler. Um, and I, and I, when I think about like, just like the, that conversation, it was just like the, the radical younger son and I think his girlfriend was just like, you just bend it and do whatever you want it for like this white guy in the, in the white house. Um, and then Oprah's just like, you don't understand how much of what you have today is because of that bending of that shifting of that person. Um, and I think <clears throat> for me, when we talk about like places that black queer people should be in and what we should own. And I think my answer is always, I want us to have everything. And what I mean by that is like, we can be people who have our own companies that do things purely how we want to do it. And we can also be the people that want to exist at the tables that didn't welcome us before. Mm -hmm. um, I, like, and that, that's been my thing. Like everybody doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. Everybody doesn't want to work in corporate. Everybody, some people may not want to work at fucking all. And all those things, <laughs> all those things are fine and they can exist. And I think that there should be a level of respect given to the path that everyone chooses to take. Um, and yeah. if we're particularly thinking about more of a corporate America or the media industry on camera talent, like things that have already existed and predate anything that I will create today, I should be able to walk into that organization um, and it should be a touch easier for me. Uh, it has been a touch easier for me because of the work that people have done before me. And, I'm, and that's not lost on me. And I don't think that, and it's, it's been important to be, to, as we evolve and have this conversation about respectability politics, to not be condescending to what people in previous generations have had to do to your point yep. about survival. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and when we, and, and like now I have this privilege to say, you know, I got about a year into my career, realize I love making these people uncomfortable <laughs> and I love showing up. You revel in it. I revel because like, and we've, I've said this a lot on our show. Few things I think do us um, more of a disservice than being comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like what, what value is there in comfort? Mm -hmm. How, you're not growing. You're not, you're not challenging the status quo. You're not uh, learning something new from your comfort. It's just sitting somewhere and it, it's being stagnant. And I think so many places, particularly when we think about workplaces, are used to like, let's not make people uncomfortable. Let's work on it. No, 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 no. I, I, I fuck that shit. Exactly. Fuck that shit. <laughs> like I'm here because somebody made you very comfortable for a long time, and they've created a space in which the the the, the value of a black voice in here is now you're you're like, oh yeah, there should be this seat at the table. Yeah. I'm gonna sit at the table, but baby, I'm gonna show out. And like, and, and like, that's, that, that's how I think about like the, it, for me, it's about timeline and understanding where we are in the conversation mm -hmm. and how each generation is doing something different based on the work of the previous people. Tell yeah. Me. Well, you know, I did a little bit of research okay. on the topic. Um, and so 
I, I found this article on VeryWellMind.com, actually written by Adoche Ibe, who's a fellow bison. She went to Howard. Ooh, um, okay. I think she's our class. She's around when we graduated. And I was I was like, oh, bitch, like, look, look at the universe. <laughs> and it was called Playing the Game of Respectability Politics, But at What Cost? It said, respectability politics is a dangerous and ineffective coping mechanism from years of abuse and ostracization. Although it may seem advantageous to just assimilate, there's little proof that shows people will no longer be persecuted for doing so. That was a bar. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, I, I was thinking about this and I was like, like present day, and I got everything Jordan was saying and everything you were, were saying, Damon, and I do think, yes, there's trailblazers who make it so mm-hmm. for us today. Now, present day, speaking in the current, what's going on now, I do think that the advantages are for short-term gain, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that the disadvantages involve you sacrificing your identity. And I think you put this weight on yourself of representing the culture and carrying that weight on your back trying to get respect from white folks because you're the one person in the room and you rep- you feel like you represent the whole I'm culture every black woman it's and, all in me <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is such a, a, a it's it's unfortunate um but it's the it's the cards that we are dealt uh and from I I take those cards and I deal them back to to you. <laughs> I don't want the cards. I like to. I'm I'm glad and I'm fortunate and I'm I'm so happy that I've been able to find my voice and to know that my voice is the reason why. Like Caitlin said, they hired you for who yeah. you are, and yeah. and even though I'm, well, I am the talent. <laughs> like when I get hired at a corporate organization, I am the talent. Mm-hmm. They hire me for who I am. They they want my perspective. They want what's uniquely me. And I get to bring all of that to the table. And if you don't like it and if you don't want it, I can go somewhere else. Different table. Period. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that is my mindset about it present day. Yeah. Uh Kaylin? Um I think the cost can be your joy. And the reason why I say that is I think at the very start of my career, when I first started Ellen, it, it was really tough for me uh, emotionally and mentally. I, I, I tell people all the time, my first year, I was probably the most depressed I had ever been in my entire life. And the reason well, is, yeah, tell us, tell us. is because, for instance, it's like, for me, I was 21 when I got the job, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my entire life was changed in a matter of three months. And so I went from being a college student to now being on this nationally syndicated television show. And that time was like number one, you know what I mean? And it was very hard for me when I would do content and I, and we would post it. And at the beginning, I always wanted to read the comments because I was like, oh, this is great. I'm thriving. My dreams are coming true. And then I would see negative comments but the negative comments weren't really critiques really it felt like it was more about who i was as a person if Mm. that made sense and it became very hard for me to know whether somebody didn't like me because i was black or Mm. because i was gay Mm. you know and even still to this day there are a lot of times when for instance like i'm doing a podcast right now with ricky lake and 
at first I was like, oh, this is great. Me and Ricky, we are wonderful. And then I read the comments and one of the comments was like, why does Kaylin have to always speak in this black gay voice? And I'm like, because I'm black and gay. What the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? I'm speaking in the only voice I have. Exactly. Right? Like, that's who I am, you know? <laughs> and so that's when it starts to bother me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is when the critique is rooted on who I am as a natural person. And at the beginning of my career, I was very much in a place of being like, I don't know who people want me to be. And I think it was because the white people didn't like me because I was, uh, you know, black and gay. But I also felt as though when it came to, like, our own community, I think there was a lot of um, criticism because I think they expected me to be like other people mm-hmm. in the industry without giving me the chance to be able to prove who I was. They, it just all was based in assumption. And so then I felt like I didn't fit anywhere, you know? And then I was just like, I'm just doing what I know to do and that's entertain people. That's make people laugh, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the community was like, here we go again. You know, exactly. Another you know? one. Which, and I get it. I get it. I fully get it because it's true, you know? But there's times when people, I remember there was this one time, there was a whole Twitter thread about me dating white men and I ain't never had no white man in my life. Hmm. And I was like, where did that can even come from? Like, how do you come up with that notion? I ain't even had a man in my life. Like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? So it's like when all these preconceived and they really feel more like projections. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think to your point about like, we should be able to have it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I should be able to, to be rich, to be famous, to have my life without somebody always having a critique about it. You know, mm-hmm. because the way that I see it is the more of us that infiltrate the space the more of us that will be able to enter it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And if there's more of us, then imagine the things that we're able to do and the things that we're able to create on our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's been just like a huge societal shift um, from the moments that maybe we started our careers to present day. Um, I think coming into the workforce, um, I was hypersensitive to wanting to be liked and accepted and celebrated and i thought in order to do that i need to sort of like find commonalities with the people that i was around and maybe leave parts of me at home Mm. um i think that it wasn't until later into my career where i had the confidence to be able to speak up and um with that i i attribute that to having the privilege of being able to grow in my career i don't know that had i been at this junior level this entire time that i've ever would have found the confidence to speak up and speak out and be that that voice of that young person speaking against the powers that may be. And so I also um, take that into account and understanding that I, at in the time where you said it was short-sighted, the, the advantages of Tony, you said that it was short-sighted. Yeah. And I do, and I agree with Today. that. I think that, Today. you know, right. And I think that there is like, okay, like I just need to get to a point where I have enough equity mm-hmm. and I have enough to call the shot. Yeah, and I, to even like disagree with mm. someone and someone not just write off my character. Because mm-hmm. I, what I hear a lot often, especially from people in our community and just mm-hmm. black people in general is that they decide to not speak out as much because they don't mm-hmm. want to be branded as difficult, mm-hmm. which is easier to happen to us. And that's why I asked Kaylin the question about what, like, you calling bullshit, well, see, like, was that intimidating? Because okay. I was like... Well, let me speak a little bit about that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think that... Listen here. <laughs> if there's one thing Kaylin does, is he is very vocal and has always been. And I think it gets me in trouble a lot. Mm. I, I think... A lot of things that have gotten in tr- gotten me in trouble is my inability to participate in respectability politics. Work. Mm-hmm. I think 
especially in media spaces, like I've always been the one to be like, no, that's fucked up. Like, know that you know that you're you're appropriating or you're taking something for somebody or something like that like i've always been at the front of that what what got you there like because you're so you're said you were 21 that coming in mm -hmm. strong like what 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 gave you that courage that fervor like how i you... wish that there was something that i i i will okay maybe this is probably a lot of it so I think maybe it has a lot to do with my coming out, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and me and my mother having a very difficult relationship uh, during that time and me being on my own. And I think me being independent in that time just told me that if I lost myself, then I would lose it all. So I, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I learned in that mm -hmm. moment that I was never going to sacrifice who I was because I think the way that I thought about it was like, well, if my mother can decide that she doesn't want to be in my life at this time, mm -hmm. I don't care about what anybody else got to say. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because it, it, to me, that was the ultimate betrayal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I don't give a shit what anybody else does yeah. it because that's my blood. This person is supposed to have my back. Yeah. So why would I be in here losing sleep with you? And I think also, and maybe this is a Capricorn thing, it's just like all right now. I'm always because you know like, right. We here. We are sisters. I'm always we in the together. space of being like I'll just figure it out my damn self. You know oh, what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think underestimation or any time that anybody has doubted me, I've just been like, well, okay, I'll yeah. just move on. I'm very resilient in that mind. But I did want to say something about respectability politics, and I want to bring up somebody that I think played the game very well, and it's controversial. And I know. Ooh, I feel like I know he was I, I, I've been feeling like I think he was talking about someone this whole time. I don't know if it's. No, 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 no. This is separate from that. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, no, no, no. Well, this that, is, but I was thinking no, about someone. I know who and, you was thinking about, uh -huh. but this specific person that I think played the game. I know who it is. Is Beyonce? I knew you were gonna say that. I was. I think it's Beyonce, and I think because if you look at specifically like I am Sasha Fierce in yes. that period of time, yes. that's when Beyonce really grew to become a global superstar, superstar. in my opinion. You know? I think so, too. I think Dangerously in Love and, and B-Day were good, you know, but Dreamgirls was still very black in that space. Yeah, and the then we got... I Am Sasha Fierce was different. This single, one single, single, single Ladies was single a global... Ladies. That was her thriller moment, yes, in my opinion. It was. It was. It was different. And it was very, you know, that was very media-trained Beyonce. That was very, like, I am the princess of the music industry, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then it shifted, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Black is King is very different. Renaissance mm -hmm. is very different. Mm -hmm. Even the her lyrics have changed so much. But I think it's because, and I don't know if it was necessarily intentional, you know what I mean? But it, I, I think Beyonce understood that she needed to gain the power yeah. in order to really create change. Matthew Knowles understood. You know? I think there was a shift in in that time period after four, yeah. um, when she was a mother, and when Black Lives Matter protests increased and, and all that happened. I think mm -hmm. the shift happened in her mind to be like, I need to use my power for something different. Good. It's no longer about the fame and the stardom. I've done that. I've accomplished that. It's time for me to use what I have for a bigger purpose. You know, and mm -hmm. I think that's something that we all experience 
at some part when you are forced into, especially in the industry, because I think that's where it's really tough. I never thought about that, but that's a master class. Mm-hmm. Real, I, he said that, and I was that's like, that's a master class. Literally, I immediately was like, he's going to talk about her. Whitney Houston did the same thing. For yeah. Whitney Houston's first part, she was booed yeah. at the at Soul the Train, Train Awards, Awards. Yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. people thought she was too white, you know. And then when you get like, once you get into like, it's not right, but it's okay. Yeah, that's a whole different sound. That was her R and B album, exactly. Mariah Carey, Mariah Carey this very exact same, but the Mariah Carey thing was a little different yeah, because Mariah's she always wanted to be black, <laughs> but Tommy <laughs> Matola, Tommy Matola <laughs> did not allow her to do that because of how she looked. Yeah, and they yeah, knew yeah. that that was how she. But was she going always to be able worked with the black folks. Oh yes. always. Oh, yes. Kelly Price was singing background, well, yeah. and I mean yeah, not I to say like Mariah's now. black now. Like let's not talk about her like she's not black. But it was, it was giving because she looked how she yes. looked. She had the image. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it got her the the power and the status exactly. and the, exactly. the respect. But I mean, because when you look at the Emancipation of Mimi, the comeback, you know, yeah. but it was like Butterfly was when she got away from Tommy Mottola. And mm-hmm. even that album is so drastically different than all the albums that came before that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Word. Come on. Was it music theory? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would not be music theory. That's not music theory. <laughs> it's like writing this notes. is something, yeah, baby. It's okay, baby. I'm just talking about this. This is something. The conversation's music giving history would be a more history. appropriate music yes. history. Moving yes. on, Tony. Yes. Um, so speaking about respectability politics, let's. we always like to take kind of an inward look. Mm. Um, speaking about our own community, um, what perceived notions do we have about each other? Thoughts of being better than somebody else or these different types of things that come up. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception you face from the, your own community? Uh, Jordan, let's start with you. Um, I think oftentimes um, in the community, I feel like respectability politics and professionalism are conflated. Mm. Um, and I think, and, and sometimes I get backlash. What from... do you see as the difference? So I think respectability politics is intentionally um, like intentionally altering the way the way you identify, changing your worldviews, changing like your cultural outlook Mm -hmm. because you feel like it's going to be more accepted by the masses. Mm -hmm. I think professionalism is understanding what the what's the most productive way to work with people and to be able to grow your career and adhering to that. So I don't know if that's a great way I to... I think you should say the same thing two wait, different wait, ways. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Okay, let's go to the professionalism thing. Cause that's, yeah. I get it what you're saying because people will say that professionalism is all rooted in whiteness, right? Professionalism is rooted in yes, yes, white yes. But I think what you're trying to say that it's more about the overall like work ethic. Is yeah, that what you're trying it, to say? Yeah, it's like work style versus mm-hmm. the personality mm-hmm. that you choose to bring in. I, I didn't do a great job of explaining it. Um, so what I what I think is like, for example, um, I had someone come up to me in a previous role, um, previous company also, where I was starting to become more utilized in projects. And I was starting to like, be closer to the executive team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I intentionally um, took that opportunity to build those relationships with those leadership, all of which were white men. Mm-hmm. And um, the feedback that I got from some of like the black colleagues was that um, 
I was investing too much time in those relationships and I was prioritizing it too much and that I wasn't keeping it real. And <laughs> I, it, it was one of those things where it's just like, for me, that was professionalism. I'm working with the people who own the company who are making all the decisions and I have the ability to be able to go in and have my idea manifest in a real way. And I saw that relationship building as an opportunity to, um, to grow my career, which is what I'm there for. Um, and sometimes I, I think that um, understanding or like prioritizing maybe having like an executive presence or figuring out how to show up and how to communicate with stakeholders of that level um, could be interpreted as changing who you are mm -hmm. and i don't think it is um I mean, if i if i decide to you know take a public speaking course because i want to be able to pitch my ideas more successfully in a room full of executives i'm going to do that that's going to impact the way that i communicate if i want to if i want to dress a little bit more formal because i think that it's going to be less of a distraction from the ideas that i'm trying to present in a meeting i'm going to do that and i don't think that i am altering my character by doing so. Mm -hmm. And so I think mm -hmm. that yeah, for I, me, I don't look at it as this like, oh, I'm losing a part of myself. Mm -hmm. I see it as I'm leaning into professionalism and I'm doing what I have to do to succeed while still being able to bring who I am mm -hmm. and the uniqueness of who I am mm -hmm. to the forefront. See, when we talk about professionalism and showing up and I'm like, professionalism to who? And what does that mean? I mean, we talk about executive presence, executive presence to who? And what does that look like for who? And that's that's the problem for me because what white folks have deemed professionalism and executive presence as, I'm like, that. just because I don't have on a fucking suit doesn't mean I'm any less smart or can come in here and handle business just like someone that's sitting across the room from me in a suit. And when you talk about bringing, bringing your uniqueness, like that's not bringing your, your uniqueness to me. That's bringing their uniqueness. Like, that, like I think can, it's, I, can I help a little bit? Help. I, Cause I, I do understand. I do understand what you're saying, but I, I think a way that we can get people to better understand. I want to talk about a way that black people do it and that they probably do it unintentionally. For instance, black lives matter. And we got a whole bunch of black men walking down the street in a suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never been a fan of that. Oh, no. Because to me, the idea of what it's perpetuating is that if I'm a black man and I wear this suit, this means that I'm more dignified. Mm -hmm. Or that this means that the cops aren't going to stop me. They're going to treat me different because I'm dressed like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not true. Because at the end of the day, our ancestors, especially during the civil rights movement, were wearing suits every single day and they were still being hosed down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it doesn't matter what you put on. People are going to treat you like you're black regardless. I was in Nordstrom dressed up to the tens and I couldn't even buy a damn candle. You know what I mean? Stop. The man wouldn't sell me a candle. So it's like, I am, a, that's why I'm talking about like, that's why I keep stressing the awareness of understanding how the world is built and regardless of how we would wish it would operate for us or, or what it should be, it's realizing what it really is. And I think the critique that people would say specifically like to your point about like, 
Uh, public speaking is, is, is pretty fine to me because, you know, maybe you got a stutter or something like that and you're trying to figure out how to get rid of that, you know? But I think the point about, like, wearing a suit to be able to, you know, present something, I think someone would say is, like, you shouldn't have to change what you look like or your appearance to be taken seriously, to be seen as worthy or to to be able for somebody to see value in your work. Your work should be able to be enough value because of how white people are able to just do the bare minimum mm -hmm. and be and receive the world. And what I'm know? what I'm wearing shouldn't be a distraction. I also but considered a distraction. I also think it's important when we even get into the conversation around public speaking. Mm -hmm. Just because like we're talking about the standards by which we say someone should speak English. Mm. We're talking mm -hmm. about, um, like if we, for instance, like we talk about SAT and ACT. Mm -hmm. The reason that certain groups of individuals do better on those standardized testing is because they're growing up in environments speaking English and language in the way that those tests are written. Correct. And black and brown people in a lot of communities speak, we have different dialects, we speak differently, Dominance. we have a different vibe, mm -hmm. like it's a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's always frowned, frowned upon. Yes. And we have to then go to school, take your English class, catch up to the 14 years that mm -hmm. a person just grew up in a home speaking that way and then be held to the same standard. Well, like to that point, like, and I think that's, especially when it comes to my content, mm -hmm. I never speak in proper English, <laughs> never, you know? <laughs> Because it's just not how I express myself. And I think also with doing comedy, especially with how black people talk, mm -hmm. if I spoke proper English, the shit would not be funny. It, mm -hmm. yeah. it wouldn't be funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's also like who I am is how we express ourselves. And I think that's the magic. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty. Like I had to explain to people a lot when it came to the first food videos, because of course, once it became like a business, then I didn't really like doing them anymore because mm -hmm. it was just a whole bunch of them. And I was like, oh, this isn't really funny. And I said, the reason why the initial videos worked is because all these recipes had connections to black culture. Mm -hmm. And so like, I knew what a mac and cheese was supposed to look like. I knew what a <laughs> potato salad was supposed <laughs> to look like. I knew what a sweet potato was supposed to look like. I don't know what a hot dog martini is supposed to look like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't, and I don't script my stuff. There are a lot of people that script their stuff and they, they play a character. That's fine. My brain is all about authenticity and being who I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when I see things and I'm like, I don't really know what the joke is in this because this is some bullshit anyway. Right. I don't choose to do those things yeah. because it's like, what is it? And even when I, I think about language, like I, I've, it's interesting, like Jennifer Hudson has a show now and I'm from Chicago. I've, not lived there for a long time. I went to Howard. I've worked in corporate America. I've lost so much of my accent from Chicago. And mm -hmm. I watch her and she sounds like my aunts. Mm -hmm. She sounds like my cousins. Mm -hmm. And like it it, <laughs> it it's like when you talk about like we were asking like what do you feel like you lose? And like, like sometimes I feel like some level of shame. I'm just like I look at that. I'm like I know I sounded like that mm -hmm. at some point. And somewhere along the way I was taught that that was wrong. And I was yeah. taught that to be taken as professional, seriously as a professional, I need to sound different. Mm -hmm. And then to see this woman who's an EGOT now, mm -hmm. let's, let's just do that. Mm -hmm. Like put some respect on her name. And to see that she has so much of it, 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 it is so refreshing for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like something that I hope more people can see and don't feel like they have to fucking lose. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And like that, like that's when we were talking about like <clears throat> speaking in a way that maybe is a distraction to get your point across quicker. It's just like, fuck them work harder. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know what distracts me when you are talking the way you do <laughs> growing up from in fucking Nantucket? I'm distracted. And I don't know what you're talking I'm about. I'm distracted. I don't have these experiences, and you have to explain them to me, and I can explain something to you, and now we're sharing something. Right. Yeah. And one of us is not bending to the other's will, will mm-hmm. and defining that as the standard by which we deem success, by which right. we deem, like, yeah. So I think that's and I, we're like completely off track now. Don't matter, I, but I but don't no, give but a fuck. To, to but bring like, it back because yeah. I do have an answer to this misconception, biggest misconception about me, mm-hmm. and personally is that I think people have often thought like, oh, he thinks he's too good, or that his shit don't stink. And I, I sat with that and I was like, actually, Maybe your shit I am too good, ho. <laughs> I am too good, ho. Like, what and what about it? You because you know what? I'm too good to be bogged down thinking about what you think about me based on how successful I am. And if you had a career or a job or a business, you would know what it takes to run one, but you don't. That, like, it's projections. And we've been talking about that too. But to me, I'm very clear about who I am and how I navigate these spaces and how I exist in these spaces and how I take up space in these spaces that are predominantly mm-hmm. white so wait 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 wait. because wait. i can i ask you a question yeah. about that or speak on that so do you feel as though what i love questions well <laughs> listen no i can't i can't help it um, no settle in we love that <laughs> but so this is what i wish i wish that we would just understand I think a lot of times, specifically in our community, we live in this hive mentality that everybody has to be the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that that wasn't the case. So, y'all been to Trappy Hour? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, when I, I don't really like clubs. I don't like clubs. I don't like going out. Like, it's just not what I enjoy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I remember the, it was a couple years ago and I went to Trappy Hour the first time I'd never been. Mm-hmm. And I got in there and we was park, packed like sardines. Mm-hmm. It was hot. I couldn't move. And I hated it. Mm-hmm. But, and I think because of how miserable I was because that just wasn't what I enjoy mm-hmm. as far as the space. It had nothing to do with who was there. It had to do with the situation of what we were in. Yeah, I think because of at that time of already being on Ellen and I think it gave off that I didn't want to be mm. around these black queer people. Ah, and that mm. wasn't the case. You know what I mean? And so, and cause I, re- I think there may have been a story that was posted afterwards <laughs> that was like in the, in the realm of art. Like I know some people were like in the room or something like, like that. Like an Instagram we're, story? We're clear I think clear so. It, wait, an Instagram story? I think so, but granted, you know, and, and I, I talked about it with the person, whatever, and we yeah. and we got that together. But um, <laughs> but I was just like, I just wish that we could just understand that everybody don't want to go to the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody want don't want to do this, that, and the other. You know, everybody has their own likes and, and what they enjoy. And if they're somewhere that you know they don't feel fulfilled or they don't feel joy, then either they gonna leave or they not gonna go there. You know what I mean? The fun is that capacity, right? But I loved, I loved um, <laughs> Lambda Lounge. I was like, oh, see, look, there's plenty of room in here. I got a table, I got a chair. Like, I like this. You know what I mean? So it all mm-hmm. depends on going where you feel your spirit 
is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I already know I'm bougie. <laughs> <laughs> I already know that. She's a bougie you black know, girl. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to my, my homegirl, Carla Gibson, you know? Carla G. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, it's something that I am fully aware of. Mm-hmm. And I don't shy away from that, you know? It's like, y'all been to my house. I like, was like it, I was about to say, babe, we've been to your house. Right. <laughs> like, you know how I do things. You know what I mean? And I just let that be. And I think one thing that I am proud of is that I never judge anyone mm-hmm. for what they like. I am very... You're not going to yuck someone else's young. No. I'm like, I love that that's what fulfills you. That mm-hmm. makes you feel good. I promote that at all times, you know? Yeah. Okay, so that. I think let's wrap on something that's been uplifting. <laughs> hmm. So, what do you think we're... What are we all doing to break the cycle and the notion that assimilating in order to thrive uh, in predominantly, in predominantly white spaces is the path that we have to take. Like, what are we doing for the people coming behind us? Uh, mm-hmm. Jordan, you want to start? Sure, I'm going to throw it off one more time. <laughs> but um, I kind of want to get past this idea that assimilation, acculturation, is this inherently and exclusively negative thing. I think mm-hmm. that there it happens all the time. Would you tell somebody who's going into the Marines to not assimilate? No, because there's no way they're going to be successful in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, would you tell somebody who's going to a foreign country to live for six months to never, like, to never, you know, eat with a different utensil or try to speak a different language or try to, you know, adjust to the certain customs? No, you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what I like to share with young people that I'm talking to is the power of choice, which I think this younger genera- generation is very clearly aware that they have and i think it's thanks to social media and thanks to black lives matter and thanks to just like the the global conversation around inclusion is that the younger audience can determine for themselves assess the situation assess the organization assess an ecosystem and say okay these this is the culture of this environment what from this environment do I feel like I don't mind assimilating to because I see the value in it and I think that I can actually benefit from it versus what do I feel like is going to be destructive to my integrity and who I am and my character and rejecting that. And so when I talk to younger people, I try to be a little bit more like try to I try to guide them as opposed to direct them hmm. and and let them know like the reality is that there are going to be a cause and effect for everything. You are an adult now. You have to figure out for yourself what is important to you. If getting this first job offer that you were you were given so that you can get yourself out of student loan debt so that you can be able to send money back home is your op- is your opportunity to get to a place where you can be financially you know, free or secure, and you feel like you have to adjust to this um, rigid corporate culture to do so, that is your decision to make. I'm never going to look down on somebody for deciding to assimilate to be able to create future opportunities for themselves. Um, I think that what I try to do is just let them know that this is the reality of the situation and that it's a deeply personal decision that you need to make and you need to be aware of what the true costs are because there's always going to be a cost for assimilating and acculturating. Um, And the cost will be your own culture at some point your own identity at some point so um i do a lot of mentoring i do like now that i'm further in my career i do a lot of panels and things like that and um i just try to um communicate the power of choice 
and really take an inventory of why you making you make the decisions you make. Yeah, we don't have time to go through all this right now, but I think there were some false equivalencies in that statement. And I think when you talk about going, like traveling and experiencing new cultures and um, learning from people and exchange, it's a very different thing than like, going into a workspace and pretending to be someone else. And I, I just, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm I just not. like, I, I think that there were some like equivalencies in there where I'm just like, that's not like joining the Marines. Is I think not it's the not, same. It's, it's like, I think that you're trying to make it binary. I don't think that just because you're I don't looking think it is binary. at, I think you are like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it didn't necessarily exist. No, I don't think it's binary. I think that you can look at a, something, the way that something operates and you can take from that culture and say, you know what, like, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take this from this environment and this and this environment, and I see the value in it, and I don't mind that being a part of my character. I think there's nothing wrong with that. You can walk into an environment and say- I think that's a great say, thing, but like, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, it's different. Um, How? Because I think that experiencing new things and deciding like, oh, actually, I enjoy this, and I, I want to continue to experience this, and I want to take this into my experience. That becomes part of who you are. Yeah. Like, you that, you're never that's, not trade, that's not a trade-off of, like, who you are. Well, I think what we're talking about is when you, like, trade off the authentic parts of the stuff that you showed up with. Like, not right. going into new spaces and learning something new and getting something new. That's amazing. But when you're going to somewhere and you're, like, leaving the little things that I'm you came with, that's, that's a different thing. And I think that's what we're talking about. That has I'm, re to I'm responding to the word assimilate. And what we mean by that is being, is looking at an environment, looking at an ecosystem, and adopting the norms in that environment as part of your own. And I don't think that that is 100% exclusively negative. I think that there are opportunities where you could actually gain something or I, find value. I feel like in we've, some, we've some talked about how it's, it's not, it's people had to do that. There are trailblazers who have had to do that so that we now have the opportunity to just walk in more authentically. And for me, I have three things that I want to say. And for me, it's when it comes to what I'm doing differently, it's, I feel like I'm being an example that you can be who you are without compromising your identity and still thriving in white spaces. Number two is by putting black and brown folks up on game so that they realize what I didn't realize earlier. And then number three is by continuing to speak truth to power and using the seat that I have at the table so that I can make my thoughts and opinions known. That's what I feel like I can contribute to helping change the narrative and, and change the minds of folks that are in those spaces that have power, but then folks that also look like me so that they can understand it, it once was like this, but this doesn't have to be your story or your narrative if you choose, because we're talking about choice too. Yeah. And I do think that it is a choice. Yeah, I think for me, I, the, th the thing that I'm being very conscious about is finding joy in the fact that people don't have to do what I may have had to do previously. And what I mean by that is like, it's a lot of times like people from older generations are like, well, I had to struggle and you should struggle too. Why everybody should behave? <laughs> like, isn't the point of yeah, whatever you're that. doing should be to, to like make it easier for those that come right. after yeah. you? Like that's the no, point. Absolutely. And like for me, it's, it's for like Gen Z or whatever the next child, whatever's after that. I think Gen um, A, we're we starting over again, ooh, I think. Really? Not I a. think. Oh then why God. do we get millennial? Why are we not like Jen? Child, don't you? don't get me to guessing. And, <laughs> but anyway, but no. The, the, but what what's important for me to say is just like 
I am a cheerleader for the fact that they can live, exist, be differently than I was because I didn't, because of what I've had to do or, or felt like I had to do because to the point that we're all kind of making, everything's a choice. Um, and I, and, and like that, that I think is the thing that I want to do differently. Sometimes, sometimes you, like you can, we've had the experiences where someone may have come before you and they feel like almost bitter that like it's easier or that it's, mm. it's different or that you have space to exist differently. And that ain't how I did it. Don't do it how I did it. Please don't. The goal is for me to have to do it that way so that you can do it differently and more in your own space and like figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it's really that simple for me because I think that sometimes when people don't aren't that cheerleader for the next generation, like they become stifled, and you feel like, oh, I have to run back into that same pattern, and it's a strange loop. <laughs> strange loop. Um, but yeah, that that that's what I was thinking a lot about with that one, Caitlin. Give me the question again. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, what are you doing to kind of break the cycle? Um, that I think that triggered you so. Um, I think for me, and I think what I have understood is that my existence alone is revolutionary. And I think, I think what I would want, since I do live in a very public space, is that I won't get it right all mm -hmm. the time. I won't. I will make mistakes, but I want people to understand that I have the dignity and the self-awareness to be able to check myself in the moment to not make the same mistake again mm -hmm. and to do better um, with the knowledge that I learn as I continue to grow and change. And I hope that in my work and in my presence and in the spaces that I am afforded entry into, that I am breaking down glass ceilings that would only open up for other people that look like me, that look like us, to be able to grow and experience what it's like to fly first class. Yes, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm trying to get to Delta One, but it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on my medallion <laughs> status. I don't pay for Delta One when it's me paying for it, okay? Because <laughs> it's mighty high, <laughs> mighty high ticket, honey. Well, um, Kaylin, first. Thank you so much for joining us. Like, very spirited conversation, but I think a really beautiful conversation. Um, and just anything that you have coming up, or if any of our listeners haven't found you, how that's possible, I don't know. But how they can find you on social or any of the projects you have coming up that you want to share with our listeners. Uh, now's your little 50 moment. 50 million jobs, honey. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thursdays, keep a job hour. Okay, on Thursdays, you can listen to Raised by Ricky. is me and Ricky Lake's podcast. On Mondays, you can watch me on Holiday Bacon Championship, Gingerbread Showdown on Food Network. <laughs> I got 50 million jobs. You watch my show, Snack on This, on Cooking Channel. So <laughs> I got a lot of things. So just follow me at the Caitlin Allen. I make it very easy for everybody. Yes, amazing. Well, thank you again and it was a pleasure having you thank you and that is all the time we have this week this season of surface level is presented by moby mobilizing our brothers initi initiative if you enjoyed this episode let's keep the conversation going let us know your thoughts and questions at surfacelevelpodcast.com and remember stay curious